Welcome back to another episode of the official Sasta podcast brought to you by me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC on H Stebbings on Snapchat and provided by the main man at Sasta, Jason Lemkin at JasonLK on Twitter. And if you want to combine all three things, Jason, me and Sasta, what do you get? Sasta Annual 2017, where Jason has been kind enough to let anyone who uses this promo code, Drinks with Harry, not only get 20% off the ticket price, but also get a free happy hour of mojitos all on Mr. Lemkin. So kind of him, what a legend. Again, that's Drinks with Harry, and it'd be awesome to see you there. However, back to the show today, and we've a slightly different founder for you today, as we welcome a bootstrap startup that's absolutely crushing it. Brandon Bruce is the co-founder and COO at Cirrus Insight. Essentially, it's a plugin for Gmail and Outlook that automatically updates Salesforce as you work. And as I mentioned, Cirrus is a bootstrap startup with triple-digit yearly growth since its founding four years ago, and has grown from two co founders in 2011 to a team of 55 people today and i have to say a huge thanks to aaron ross author at predictable revenue for the intro to brandon today so appreciate that and i'm now delighted to hand over to brandon bruce co-founder and coo at cirrus insight good that's perfect okay i think we're warmed up brandon so excited to have you on the show today welcome to the official sasta podcast thank you so much for joining me Oh, it's awesome to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Now, I'd love to kick off today with a quick two to three minute founding story of Cirrus Insight and how the business really got off the ground. Yeah, we really, uh, we, meaning Ryan Huff, my co-founder and I, we, we really started it for ourselves, uh, as, with, as with so many startups, I think. We, we were using Salesforce and we were using Gmail and there wasn't any app that connected the two of them. This was back in uh, 2011. And so Ryan, credit to him because he's a, he's a technical architect and had built a lot of Salesforce apps apps before and knew the platform extremely well said I think I can I think I can solve this I think we can bring a side panel with Salesforce information in it into Gmail and then we can just stay in Gmail and work there and we can see our customers information and we can save emails in Salesforce and we don't have to spend hours a day jumping back and forth between the two platforms and we were, we were inspired by the the guy that reportive you probably use that app and a lot of listeners probably have too that brought LinkedIn information into Gmail and so we thought well if they can do that with LinkedIn information in Gmail we could probably I do it with Salesforce information in Gmail. So, so Ryan built the app and I started working the phones. Uh, we had about a thousand people that joined in the beta. So they signed up on our really simple one page website that said, if you use Gmail and you use Salesforce, do you want to try out our app? And a lot of people took us up on it. I think the, the big indication that, that we might be onto something and be able to start a business with it was when I had published our first website, honestly, inadvertently. So we didn't realize Google had indexed it. And one of our beta users found it, found our signup page uh, and paid for the app. And Ryan had wired it that we would get a text message when the, when, the, when the money hit the bank account. And so we were surprised, A, that that worked, and B, that someone had found it and paid us even though we weren't ready to charge for it yet. And so we offered to return the money and said, you, you'll, you'll have it free for a few months to while we work out the bugs. And he said, it's no problem. I find it so valuable. I'll be your first customer and I'll tell some of my friends. And so we thought, well, let's do this. We're, we're in business. Is that the sign then for you of true product market fit when someone's willing to actually pay for the product? Or, or is it when you reach kind of a critical mass? It's a great question. I mean, we debated for a long time, do we launch or do we launch in four months? And, and why four months? That Basically, the roadmap that we had, all the kind of low-hanging fruit features that we could think of that we wanted and that we had heard from our beta users, hey, this would be great to have, would have taken us about four months. So it would have put us in end of the first quarter of 2012. But instead, we just decided, hey, we've gotten enough good feedback. There's enough people telling us that this is adding value and that they wouldn't want to go back to working the old way, that we decided to launch it 
in December of 2011. And honestly, if we go back in the five-year history of the company, that's probably the best decision we made. And I don't want to, on the one hand, overstate the importance of, of being first. But for us, it was extremely important because it allowed us to capture a lot of mind share in the market among Gmail users and Salesforce users. And it also helped us to, to get out to market uh, before a big consulting company in San Francisco called Aperio took their Gmail gadget out to market. And so we had a couple months lead where we were the only app in town. Uh, and that was really, really valuable for us. Okay. So you're the only app in town that does this. And you as the founder, and actually, as we always hear on Sasta, took the responsibility of selling the product yourself. And I've heard you talk before and say you've taken the road less traveled in sales. So I'm intrigued to hear what that means for you and how that really played out in terms of early sales cycles and strategy. Yeah, I mean, at the time that Ryan and I launched it, both of us were still working full time. And, and we still did for about six months into the company until we were able to establish, you know, kind of kind of a, a reliable cash flow or a somewhat reliable cash flow. And so so the road less traveled was literally a road for me. I was in, I was doing fundraising at the time. And so during these long five and six hour drives, uh, I was just working the phone the whole time. And what's interesting is that seems to be less and less traditional. A lot of the go-to markets are heavily reliant on email campaigns, uh, getting the word out that way, you know, paid advertising, but fewer and fewer people seem to be just picking up the phone and dialing through folks. And I, I can't remember the exact business, but I was pretty inspired by a guy that started a business in New York City. And they asked him, well, how did you get your initial customer cohort? And he said, well, he set up a card table and put a rotary phone on it. This was decades ago and opened up the phone book to page one and just started calling everybody in New York City uh, to see if they wanted to use his product. And I thought, well, that's a good way as any, right? You just start talking to people and getting feedback. I guess my question to you then on that, and I guess why other people don't do it so much, is in terms of scalability. And and how scalable is a kind of one-to-one phone conversation, do you think? And do you think then in terms of kind of ACV, it needs to be a very high ACV to justify that? That's a great question. And, and I think the answer is, right, it doesn't necessarily scale very well. There's only a certain number of calling hours in the day. And there's only you know so many people you can have deep 15, half an hour, hour long conversations with. At the same time, early on, I, I think it's important to stress the value of those relationships and the, the deep feedback that you get that helped us to achieve. And you mentioned earlier that product market fit. So it wasn't the, the quick phone calls. Hey, I love you to install the product. Why don't you check out our webpage? And we've have a recorded demo, it was a, hey, do you have a half an hour where we can do a deep dive and tell me exactly what your workflow is and how you interact with Salesforce and how you guys do sales at your company or your nonprofit or your partner uh, partnership. And so it, we took all that information and I fed it back to Ryan. He was able to build it into the application. And a lot of those early customers of our early, you know, 500 first thousand customers are still customers today and some of our biggest evangelists. And so, so I, I tend to look back and think that was worth the investment. It wasn't scalable because I don't, I still, I don't do that today. I still talk on the phone all day, but not, not the way I used to. Um, but it, those relationships were kind of invaluable in a lot of ways. So it's really hard to put an ACV on it. No, I, I absolutely agree with you in terms of kind of customer successifying your early users to generate brand ambassadors for your products. Uh, I, I would always tried to do that with the, with the podcast and hey it turned out pretty decently for me so, so I yeah. agree with you on that one um, yeah. but I, I met some of your obviously now you have a sales team and I met some of your uh, fantastic sales team at Sasta this year and I know from speaking to them that you like to talk to frontline sales reps to, to really kind of understand what works so what have been your learnings from this interaction with them and, and what have you kind of learned what works and what doesn't 
Yeah, I mean, one of one of my favorites was uh, we had and still have. He now works on the customer success team. When he started with us, he was doing sales development, and he had three times he had set up three times more demos in a given week than everybody else on the team. So of course, we pulled him aside and said, "Hey, what are you doing that's so special? Are you just grabbing the very best leads, or do you have a special thing that you're doing that entices these people to do demos?" And we we were surprised by his answer. He just said, "I only have a single script. So regardless of how the person on the other end of the line answers me." I, I say the same thing. And so he said, well, well give us an example. And so he said, uh, hey, are you available to do a demo uh, tomorrow? And if the person said yes, he would say, great, how about 10 o'clock? Or he would say, are you available to do a demo tomorrow? And the person would say no. And he would say, great, how about 10 o'clock? <laughs> And we said, well, how is that working? What sort of feedback are you getting? And so we we actually looked at it pretty closely and we kind of chalked it up to psychologically, people are willing to lie generically, but not specifically. And so they're willing to say, hey, no, tomorrow I'm really booked up, really full. I definitely can't uh, spend time doing a demo with you. But if you say a specific time, about 10 o'clock, then they actually feel uncomfortable. They look at their calendar and they say, you know what? I'm actually free at 10. Uh, I could do that with you. And so they accept the demo. And we thought that was a really interesting kind of... uh, kind of psych hack that he had used very successfully. So of course we shared it out to the rest of the team and they've been doing that sort of thing ever since. So yeah, it's interesting to kind of learn those little small things that make in this case three X difference in the number of people that were willing to take a look at the app. So now do you have a universally similar approach to sales for your sales team? Do they employ the same sales script that this genius uh, once did? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the folks that come in now are hearing these same stories, right? Hey, this is what worked for this person. Give this a try and see if it works today because the landscape is constantly changing. You know, customers are getting more sophisticated in the way that they want to evaluate software and engage with sales teams. And so we constantly have to tweak our game. I think it's fair to say something might work, you know, two years ago, but then last year that became something people weren't as interested in. So we have to, we have to mix it up a little bit. You know, I think one of the things along with that kind of little hack that's worked really well for us is we've always been a really accessible company. We're, We're easy to reach and we've never wanted to kind of hide the ball as far as, Hey, fill out this really long form tell us all about you and we'll decide if we want to show you the software or not. We've always made it really easy for people to book meetings with us. And so we, we acquired an application a couple of years ago called assistant.2 that allows you to put your calendar availability right into an email. And then the recipient can just click on a time that's convenient for them and book a meeting with you. And we, we were using the app so much and we loved it that we contacted the developer and, and bought the app from him and have integrated it in the Serious Insight. And what's nice about that is it's, it's communicating to the customer that they're important, that we don't want to wait their time going back and forth with a string of 20 emails trying to find a good time to meet. And we're saying, hey, we're available and we're willing to spend our time. Would, would you like to choose a time that you like? And uh, and it's using little small pieces of software like that and then wrapping it with good messaging uh, that we've gotten our best results from. Absolutely. And speaking of the sales team there and then kind of comparing it to you on the phone in the early days with the very uh, kind of brand advocacy generating uh, element of speaking to everyone, how did you look to scale the sales team? I always speak to Jason and Jason's always a massive proponent of hiring two at a time so you can make comparisons and have a real competitive element. How did you look to scale it from from the founding team to now the sales team that we see at SASTA and at other conferences? Yeah, I mean, we've tried to do it the same way. We've tried to follow 
Jason Lemkin's advice, Aaron Ross's advice. We read all their books. We listen to their podcasts. We read the blogs and Quora because we think spot on. Uh, that said, we, we, to be honest, uh, we've done it in fits and starts. So, so we're basically a bootstrap startup. We have some friends and family and some early customers, the angel investors from, from years ago that have backed us, but we, we don't have institutional backing. So when we go to scale the sales team, we really do it alongside of revenue. So as we add more customers and we have the opportunity, then we do just as you say, we'll add on two reps uh, and ramp them and get them involved right away. You know, day one, we'll take them to a big event and get them selling. Uh, but we haven't, we haven't scaled in advance of growth. So we haven't added massive numbers of people to the team uh, and tried to train them up and go to market. Instead, we do it we do it very methodically and carefully so that we know we're hitting the market the right way. But we do try to do it a couple at a time and get them all the tools they need to be successful. I guess, what do you look for then in your prospective sales reps? Damn, that's the, fam- that's the famous question, right? What's the, what's the, what's what's the, the template? What's the what's magic the source? I mean, that is yeah, such a shit question, isn't it? I mean. For such a great salesperson. You know, honestly, we've had, we've had tremendous luck. So we're located in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is an untapped area for, for building software companies. We're one of the few software companies here. Uh, like we talked about before the show, there's a ton of innovative stuff happening in Knoxville, like the first 3D printed car and some other really neat technology. But we're one of the few software companies and what that enables us to do, we really benefit from being able to source a lot of the best and brightest students from University of Tennessee, which is just around the corner. So they're coming out of the MBA program, the analytics program, and from uh, Maryville College, where my wife's a professor. So we get introductions to a lot of the top students coming out of there. And what's interesting is these students come from just a wide variety of backgrounds. So, you know, for example, at Maryville College, it's a liberal arts education. So we've hired people that are music majors, theater majors, English, history. So it's not your traditional business major with a focus on, you know, international relations or a focus on marketing. We certainly have folks that are like that and they're wonderful, but it's really broad. So, you know, our, our employee that really leads us into events and does the best job at events has had a career in food service. You know, he's a wonderful chef and we hired him from there and he's such a people person. He gets out in front of people and he's familiar with that from, from being in restaurants for his career that he just has a very special way of connecting with people, making them feel comfortable like he's serving them in a restaurant, right? And so he's been a great template, but it's hard to go to conferences and tell people, hey, go to your local restaurant, try to find a wonderful chef and hire them onto your sales team. That's not a template that they're expecting to hear. But I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned the events there um, because that's an area, as I said, at Sastit where you really do smash it. So, so talk to me about that and how you're so much more efficient and successful in events in terms of getting more leads and kind of converting them into meetings and actual sales. So what's your strategy and approach going into the event season? Yeah, we get pretty amped about events and, and in part it's because we're such a virtual company. So we spend the majority of the year, you know, doing uh, online demos and talking with folks on the phone and doing video conferences. And so when we get a chance to get out of the office and go to Dreamforce in San Francisco or go to a big conference in New York, I think we're just really excited about it. We finally get to get in front of our customers in person, our partners in person, and to talk with our prospects and kind of communicate not only the value of our application and show them a quick demo at the booth, but it's really a chance to get them to hopefully like us as people. So as one of our reps said, you know, he realized after the first week here, you know, his job is not to introduce Serious Insight and get people to like the technology. His job is to get them to like him, to get them to relate to us as a company, that we get their pain, that doing sales is hard, and that we can help them. And we've experienced some of the same trials and tribulations of working with customers, and that we get it, and that we're willing to get in the trenches with them and help them. So some of the things we've done at events that have been you know, particularly successful, and, and, and you mentioned this before the call, because you received one of them at Saster, is that we like to give away gift cards. So we, we bring little Starbucks gift cards with us to all the conferences we go to, and, and we'll hand it out to everybody. And it usually has a little message on it, 
like, you know, coffee is for closers, right? From the famous Glengarry Glen Ross movie mm-hmm. or some other little quote on there and a link to our website. And we're pretty, we're pretty free giving with them, right? We'll give everyone a $5 Starbucks gift card and who doesn't want to, who doesn't want to get a latte to keep them going through the conference. So it's just a way of connecting with folks and saying, uh, Hey, we get it. You know, you, you, you're, you're, you're hustling, you're killing it at work. You need a coffee. And, uh, when you're done with that, you'll remember us and hopefully come back to the website and, and engage with the team. So that's one thing we've done. We use a lot of unicorns. We started doing that almost from the beginning, five years ago, before the kind of the big concept of a unicorn was a thing. We don't consider ourselves to be a unicorn or on the path to becoming a, a unicorn company. We just like them because they're fanciful and people seem to like them. So we bring stuff to unicorns to all the conferences we go to. And, and people love them, right? They, they put them on their desk and they tweet to us with pictures. They give them to their kids, which I think is one of the best things you can do at conferences is have giveaways that people can take home and give to their kids, right? They spent the whole day at a conference. Maybe they're staying overnight, so they missed a day with their family, and they want to take something home to give to their kids. Uh, and I've got two kids that are six and four, so whenever I go to a conference, I'm not looking for uh, you know pens and keychains. I'm looking for uh, stuffed animals and puzzles and you know things that I can take home that they'll enjoy. Absolutely. So yeah, we, you know, honestly, we try to go to events and have a lot of fun. I, I guess one question from that and from all those gifts and you know, like for the for the brilliant gift card that I very much enjoyed the latte on you. Thank you so much for that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I insist I'll buy you a mojito in return. Um, but uh, then I, I'm, I'm questioning, because obviously it's a lead generation element in terms of I give my email and I get a gift card uh, and we're all happy. Uh, in terms of leads, I had Tim Kopp, CMO, previously of, of big, big companies on the show before, and he said that actually leads aren't anything unless there's an outcome attached to them. So I'm intrigued as to how you think about that and how leads convert to action for you and whether you see value in leads alone. Yeah, no, there's certainly there's certainly a funnel there, right? And so so we go into the event and we set the initial goal, which is to say, if we just show up at the booth and we don't talk to anybody and they just look at us, then there is there is some value. They're at least seeing the brand. So they can say, Sears Insight was here. They matter. They showed up at the event. Uh, but we want to have those conversations. And so we want to scan those leads and talk with people and shake hands and get their business cards. So we use the gift cards for that. Uh, but to your point, then you have a lead. So what? You know, 10,000 leads, no follow-ups or no sales uh, it does not a company make. So, so the key for us then is to remember those conversations, take the right notes so that we can follow up and say, hey, I hope you really enjoyed the latte at Saster. And I, you know, I wanted to follow up because I remember you saying you guys got a real pain point in how your support reps connect up their meetings with cases in Salesforce. And that's something that we do internally and a lot of our customers do them. Here's examples, X, Y, and Z. And we could do the same thing for you also. I, you know, I'd love to jump on a quick five-minute call or click this link and you can spin up a free trial. It takes two clicks. And that, so it's, it's, a, it's a warm conversation, whereas if we just bought that lead or just acquired it from a list, we wouldn't have that story of saying, hey, we, we, we kind of, it's the give and take theory of sales, right? We gave them a little something. It's a gift card. There's a story there now. We talked with them for long enough that we have an intro. And then we can try to convert them to a demo, hopefully to a trial, and then to a paid account. And we, we know the math on that. We know our success rate in converting people people once they're on trial. And we know our success rate in getting people from demo to start a trial. So the events are really helpful, mostly for getting leads. Although we have been starting to get better this year in focusing on even getting people to start trials at the booth. And that before, for us, honestly, was kind of too big of an ask. But we've simplified our process down to kind of the bare basics so that someone can pop over to the booth and we can say, oh, great, you want to stuff unicorn? All you got to do is install Cirrus Insight, a free trial. It'll take you like five seconds. And they'll be like, okay, 
okay, cool. Why don't I try it out? Do you, so find, then we've got do you find the retention on that's good, or it's uh, you know there was there was some uh, booths where they were kind of just seriously cool t-shirts, and so I'll put my email down and nick the t-shirt. Well, not nick the yeah. t-shirt, but take the t-shirt. <laughs> I just went around stealing t-shirts at Sasta this year. Yeah, um, but but do you find the retention is good? Yeah, I mean, and, and what's interesting is we, we try to prepare for that. And so we, we create a, re, a pretty exhaustive list of, of personas that show up at events. And so so one of them, to borrow your term, is, is the t-shirt knicker, right? They're the folks that come through the conference. And we remember this from our first Dreamforce four years ago. There were folks and we would say, oh, how, are you evaluating Salesforce or are you, are, you, are you using it? Are you customer? And they would say, what's Salesforce? I mean, they, they didn't even know where they were. All they knew is that they were going to load up on, on t-shirts uh, and gift cards and stuff at the conference. And so, so we have a persona for that and we have questions that we can ask to quickly figure out that they're just there to get swag and we try to kind of move them through and away from the booth so that we can talk with other people that might want to have a conversation. So there's, you know, there's people that are, that are the real deal and those are the folks you really want to focus on. There's kind of the, the false decision maker. So they'll come and they'll front that they're, they're, they are the real deal, that they are going to make the decision. But when it gets right down to it, it's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's folks that come to the booth that just want to talk. They just want to have a long conversation about stuff, uh, about SaaS and business and life. And those are really fun conversations, but we have to be wary of that because we're only going to have four or five people at the booth at any given time. And if you get three or four talkers, you know, you're pretty stuck. We usually call the t-shirt knicker the swag grabber, right? They just, they kind of run right past you and just grab a fistful of unicorns, you know, maybe snag a gift card or something and then hustle away. So, so we try to, we try to literally block uh, those folks. So you're you're looking for body language uh, and eye contact. And then, yeah, you've got your, you've got your former customer that we're trying to get back. Uh, you've got your scout that's just kind of poking around the booth. They just want a little information. And then you see them a couple hours later because they bring their boss or their colleague. And, hey, this is Sears Inside. I looked at them earlier, and now I want to bring you back to the booth. And then a lot of our work, honestly, is directed at the persona that we call the 10-footer. They want to stand 10 feet away from the booth. They, they want to read everything that you've kind of written on the booth and look at your images. But they want to stay far enough away that they don't think that you're going to talk with them. Uh, they're a little shy. They're a little nervous. And they really would have liked to avoid having their badge scanned or showing a business card or really engaging in any sort of conversation. And so our our job at the booth is to be uh, gregarious and friendly enough to give them a gift card, strike up a conversation and, and try to figure out why they're spending so much time on the periphery of the booth. They must be interested. We just need to find a way to break through. Well, now you've called me a swag grabber uh, yeah. and now we can move on from that. You're welcome on the show again. <laughs> but but I'd love to move to a quick fire we call 60 seconds faster. So 60 seconds per answer. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. So let's do productivity tools. Hit me. Yeah. I mean, our productivity tools, we use Gmail, we use Salesforce. Obviously, we use our own app, Cirrus Insight, uh, Assistant.2 for scheduling meetings. Uh, we use Dial Source, which is a Salesforce app for dialing in the inbox. We use Octave, formerly known as Tinderbox, for sending out proposals and contracts. We use Pardot for marketing automation and probably about a dozen other tools that I'm not thinking of right at the top of my head. But we're certainly a big consumer of productivity tools because that's the market that we're in. So when we find something or our reps find something that works, you know, we try to test it out and confirm it and then we, we get it for them because time savings is the name of the game. And then what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, part of it is, and a lot of your listeners are, are venture capitalists and we've talked with a lot of venture capitalists. And in fact, we have a persona for them at the booth. So at the risk of offending anybody, because I love to talk with them because I always get really interesting information and I like to try to get referrals to their portfolio companies. But they, sometimes they do come to the booth and just pepper our staff with questions about the company. 
And so we, we kind of know that, right? They're not asking about the tech. They're asking about uh, where are you located? How many employees do you have? What was growth like this last year? And, uh, and that, that, can, that can use up a lot of time. But I think the thing that I, that I probably wish I knew more about when we started is just that environment. So we would sometimes see a competitor go out and raise, you know, 20, 30 million dollars. And we were like, uh oh, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling. It's probably going to be a category killer. And so we spent a little bit too much emotional energy uh, being concerned about who was raising what, how were they positioning in the market, where were we by comparison, how big was their team, how big was our team, how good was their tech, et cetera. It's really benefited us more now to focus on just serving our customers, right? If we have customers and they're happy, then we're in business. And if they have customers and their customers are happy, they're in business too. And we can coexist and everything will be will be fine. So we pay attention a lot to competitors, but we try not to get too obsessed about it. Then the biggest mistake current SaaS companies make with their processes? That's a good question. It's probably probably not focusing on on the outcome, which is which is what, what you said, you know, some of the listeners have talked about before. It's getting too caught up in process. And, and, and we succumb to that from time to time. So we're in this sales enablement, sales acceleration space. And it's really tempting to get focused on making this process work really well and then, you know, declaring victory, right? Mission accomplished. Our process is really great. If the process isn't leading to an outcome that really matters for you, uh, what was the point? So for example, our app and a lot of apps out there promote email tracking, the ability to see when someone has opened your email. Extremely useful and valuable technology. But but the companies that are utilizing it the best are the ones that don't get caught up in, hey, we sent out an email and it got opened a lot. Like, that's awesome. Uh, we did a great job. Uh, victory. Uh, but instead are connecting it to a meaningful outcome like demos booked, uh, revenues out the bottom of the funnel versus just saying, we really cracked the nut on a subject line. It's saying we were able to sell more of our product as a result of the fact that more people open the email. That, that's when things get really interesting. So it's, it's, it's failure to focus on outcomes, I think, is the hardest thing for, for any of us. And then moving away from the quick fire, I want to discuss, uh, so not to worry on 60 seconds now, but I want to discuss an inherent part of business that you mentioned there with the fundraising and seeing other competitors raising big sums of money. So how do you view the competitive landscape and, and how do you look to analyze it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a host of really excellent competitors in our space specifically, and then in sales acceleration enablement at large. And I think the key is to figure out, you know, what what keywords, what headlines are those companies seeking to own? You know, where do they really want to stand out in the market? And then by contrast, where where are we making a mark? Uh, where do we fit? So, so traditionally, I mean, from the time that we were started, and this continues to today, we are very well known in the Salesforce community, in the ecosystem, for providing really, really excellent and deep integration with Salesforce. So if your company depends from a workflow standpoint on being able to do things in Salesforce, we can make that possible from inside Outlook or Gmail or mobile. And that goes deep, right? Everything from validation rules to dependent pick lists to record types, workflows, triggers. We get Salesforce and we know how to make that work. And a lot of other companies are more focused on other aspects of acceleration, right? And so so we do those things pretty well and they do them really well. And we do the sales Salesforce really, really well, and they might not do that at all, or just a little bit. And so it's figuring out where we can be, you know, the best at something. You know, Jack Welch from GE always talked about, hey, we're going to be number one or number two in any market that we're in, and and that's been our goal with Sirius Insight. We're going to be the very best at connecting folks' at workflow where they work, the inbox with Salesforce. But yeah, like I said before, I think I think we got caught up early on in thinking about, you know, who's raised, how much, how many employees did each company have, where are they located, who's on their board, and who's making introductions, and how are they. 
you know, end arounding our go-to-market. And now we really just try to focus on making sure we serve the customers so we stay close to them. You know, my, my family is originally from Omaha, Nebraska, so we're big fans of Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. And when he was asked, you know, what's the what's the key to success in business? And everyone thought he would say something like, you know, uh, insight or, you know, not being risk-averse or persistence or something like that. He instead answered emotional stability. And I thought that was such a great answer, especially for those of us in the startup world, where it is a roller coaster. One month revenue is sky high and the next month, you know, the bottom seems to have dropped out. And it's like, why did, why did that happen? Did everyone go on vacation? And sometimes they did. Um, but it's to stay relatively stable. So you can say, it's okay, right? We can recover from that. And the next month's going to be good. We got to keep pressing forward. And so not get, not get too high when we close that, that big six or seven figure deal, but not get too low either when there's a little bit higher churn than we expected. Uh, or a new competitor comes in the market is really strong and takes some of our business. Um, it's staying stable and continuing to, to build the product and try to innovate. What better way to end than on a than on a Warren Buffett quote? I don't think anyone can yeah, that go. one off. Uh, but Brandon, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've hugely enjoyed chatting with you about the incredible journey of Serious Insight. Really nice to have a non-venture bat startup reveal their growth story. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, it's been great to be on. Thanks for having me. So fantastic to have Brandon on the show today and amazing to hear his journey with Cirrus Insight. And if you want the chance to see the incredible Cirrus team at Sasta Annual 2017, plus have the chance to have endless mojitos with me and receive 20% off the ticket price, then all you need to do is enter the promo code DRINKSWITHHARRY, those three words, DRINKSWITHHARRY, when you buy your Sasta tickets. Likewise, you can follow me on Snapchat at hdebbings if you want to see Harry doing mojitos pre-Sasta, or you can follow Jason Lemkin on Twitter at Jason LK. As always, I so appreciate all your support and cannot wait to bring you Monday's episode.